Samaritan. Oh, actually, before, before I do that, I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you, uh, you gave it to us to instruct us and show us how to live uh, and point us to you. We pray that you would humble our hearts this morning, that we might take on your word uh, and have the courage to live it out. For Jesus' sake. Amen. So the phrase, the Good Samaritan, has got to be one of the most famous of Jesus' sayings, along with eat, drink and be merry, which should be taken in context. It's got some context. Love your enemy and turn the other cheek. A rugby, rugby league commentator recently described the actions of a football player who helped an opposing player when injured as a Good Samaritan. It's obviously a common phrase. But I wonder if that's what Jesus intended when he told his famous story, is it just a nice story about caring for people? We need to remember that at the time, Jesus made uh, enemies because of these parables and the stories that he told. In fact, he was crucified for these teachings. His stories shocked and disturbed his listeners. My guess is, when it comes to the more well-known of these parables of Jesus, they are also well-known and famous, and we get so comfortable with them that we miss the point. So let's not do that today. Picture the scene, chapter 9, verse 51. It tells us Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. At various times on his journey, with his disciples in tow, he stops and speaks to the crowds, uh, which were growing growing as he got closer toward Jerusalem. We're not sure how big the crowd was, but like on most occasions... And as was common practice for teachers and followers in those days, everyone was sitting down. Most likely Jesus as well, especially if it was a small crowd. So verse 25 tells us that the teacher of the law stood up. This is going to be interesting, the crowd whispers to each other. A lawyer, an expert, an expert in Old Testament, a theologian. He wants to be heard, he wants to be seen. And he wants to test Jesus. He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It really doesn't get much bigger than that when it comes to the questions of life, does it? It's the same question the rich ruler asks in Luke chapter 18. The same question the jailer in Philippi asked Paul and Silas. What must I do to be saved? It's a question we all need to ask. But behind this lawyer's question was a problem typical of Judaism and the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Salvation was about religious performance. What must I do, he asked. His salvation would come by some form of good works. But this is not uncommon. Many people make the same mistake today, don't they? To get to heaven, all we need to do is to be good. To, be make sure, to make sure the good outweighs the bad, and we're in. Heaven is for good people, and I'm a good person, so she'll be right. So Jesus points the expert back to the law itself. What is written in the law? What does God's word say about eternal life? The lawyer answers by quoting two well-known passages of the Old Testament. One from Deuteronomy 6, and one from Leviticus 19. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. This was a good answer, Jesus said. 
Do this and you will live. All that the lawyer had to do was to keep the two commandments that sum up the law. Love God and love your neighbour. If he did this and kept doing this, note the present tense, he would gain eternal life. The love that God requires is a perfect love, loving God with all that I am, all heart, soul, strength and mind. And love your neighbour as yourself, same interest, same constant concern as we have for ourselves, we are to have for our neighbour. Who could love like that? Who could possibly love to such a perfect standard? The lawyer seemed to realise this, so he looked for a loophole. And like any good lawyer, you look for the loophole. You see, Jesus knew that we, never, we can never be saved by obeying the law. We just can't do it. We sin. We fall short, and so this is why Jesus came. He came to die for sinners. He came to do what the law was never designed to do, save sinners. The law was designed to make us conscious of our sin, our need for a saviour. But this expert in the law wanted to justify himself. He should have prayed for grace and fallen to his knees and said, Lord, I'm sorry, I need you, please forgive me. But instead he tried to trick Jesus, looking for a loophole, looking for a way to make himself look righteous and trying to save face. And so he asks, and who is my neighbour? Or whom do I have to love? He was looking for a way to limit the size of his neighbourhood. That would work. He could then justify himself. He could manage that. In effect, his desire was to rule out non-neighbours. For example, those who don't belong to God's people. That would be easier. And of course he was right. That is easier. It's easier to love those who agree with us, who don't offend us, who we get along with. But that's not following Jesus. Love does not discriminate. Love does not ask, who is my neighbour? Love does not ask, is that person in, my, in, my, in need my responsibility? Love does not ask, must I contribute? Love is not limited. Love sees. Love cares. Love takes costly action. And so in reply... And rather than offering a nice legal definition of, of a neighbour, Jesus tells this parable. If you really love God and love your neighbour, you don't have boundary lines to your neighbourhood. The parable really shows that the lawyer was asking the wrong question altogether. The real question is not, who is my neighbour? But whose neighbour am I? Or what kind of neighbour am I? In reply, this is in verse 30 if you're reading, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notorious. With its narrow passages and secluded hidden pathways, it was a magnet for thieves and thugs. The road even had a nickname, the Bloody Way. In fact, some people suggest that this was not a parable at all. 
Such an assault on this road was so common an experience that Jesus was just recounting a real-life story. In the end, it's not really that important. In the story, the two people we expect to help the injured man are the two people who did not. Two fine, upstanding citizens, two religious people, saw the man and turned away. The cruelty and hypocrisy of their neglect is amplified by the fact that uh, they were coming from Jerusalem and were most likely involved in worship there. They most likely recited the laws that this lawyer had just quoted to Jesus. They had miserably failed to to love their neighbour. So what kind of neighbours were they? They were bad neighbours. Why didn't they stop and help? No doubt they had excuses. Priests weren't to touch dead bodies and Levites became unclean if they did and it took weeks for them to get clean. Or perhaps they didn't want to be accused of the crime or perhaps they were too afraid of being beaten themselves. But they were just excuses. Perhaps they were just too busy to be bothered by the inconvenience. So when am I a bad neighbour? When I avoid people in obvious need? When I come up with flimsy excuses for refusing to get involved with someone who has a legitimate claim on my love? When I'm too, too selfish to interrupt what I'm doing or to be inconvenienced by someone else's problems? When I see someone in trouble but refuse to stop and find out what kind of help I might be able to offer? When I have little concern for those who are wounded or dying or homeless? No matter where they come from, no matter what their nationality I'm a bad neighbour when I do nothing, when I stay silent, when I turn away, when I pass on the other side, when I refuse to care. So what kind of neighbour are you? Well, the great surprise of this story, and because we're so familiar with it, because it's famous and, dare I say, comfortable, we miss the shock value. We miss the surprise. It's not a good Israelite that stops to help. It's a Samaritan. He's the good neighbour. This is not only shocking but disturbing to all those listening in. The enemy, a heretic to Jews, in fact to Jews there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. It was a contradiction in terms, good and Samaritan. It was the last thing anyone would have expected in this story. In verse 33 we read, But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So what makes a good neighbour? Well, firstly, they see, they notice. Their focus is not on themselves. He saw him and took pity on him. He went to him. Secondly, he cares. He had compassion on this man who was suffering. He applied first aid. He used his own donkey and walked. And thirdly, a good neighbour takes costly action. Not only did he now walk the distance, but he took the man to an inn and took care of him. He went the extra mile. 
He paid about two weeks' wages and then asked the innkeeper to put anything else on a tab. Friends, that is what love is. It sees, it cares, and takes costly action. Love like Jesus loved us. That's the message of this parable. For love doesn't pick and choose. The parable is not about who is my neighbour. Although we're right in answering that question, anyone and everyone, whoever God puts in our lives, is our neighbour. But the parable is really about neighbourly love, which is summed up in the question, what kind of neighbour am I? It's the reason why Jesus finishes his time with this lawyer the way he does. If you read in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus tells the lawyer, and I suspect to all those listening in, and tells us, go and do what the Good Samaritan does. He doesn't say talk about it some more. He says go and do. This parable is not some nice ethical story, something to bring up during commentary on rugby league game. We also mustn't forget who we are hearing from here. It's Jesus, and it's a command. Like the Samaritan, Jesus had no obligation to save. He was not bound to act in any the way he did. Instead, Jesus has gone and done likewise. He looked, he cared, and he took costly action. This parable reminds us of our enormous need for Jesus, our need for a saviour. He's the one who does for us what the law cannot do, that's save. He's the one who has gone and done likewise. He's the one who deals with our sin, bringing forgiveness when we put our trust in him. Our response, Jesus says, in response to his saving love, as we see how much God loves us in Jesus, is to love others, to be a good neighbour. In fact, as we get to know the love of God for us in Jesus more and more, it's that same love that has the power to change us to be more like Jesus. Hear his command. Go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, too often we, we walk past need. We don't act. Uh, we don't care. Father, forgive us. We're sorry for when we don't take action. Father, as the Good Samaritan did, may, and, and the Lord Jesus, may you empower us to, to see the need around us and may you give us the power and the courage to act. And may we do this for the growth of your kingdom and for your glory. Amen.